Okay. All right. Yeah. Hold on one second. I'm gonna take my shirt off. Whoa. <laughs> it's gonna be like that. <laughs> All right. Jeez. Ooh, ooh. No wonder people are leaving okay. offerings on your doorstep. <laughs> <laughs> my blinds are closed, man. <laughs> well, I'm wearing a bra. Not if the <laughs> call is coming from inside the house. If you know what I'm saying. <laughs> All right, let's do this shit. Here we go. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the More Deadly Podcast, where we review horror movies directed by women, identified directors only, and prove that the female of the species is more deadly than the male. I'm your co-host, Rachel, and joining me is the always lovely, apparently stripping, Ariel. <laughs> oh my god, Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm starting to the podcast, and you're like, hold on, I have to take off my shirt. I did not say it like that. She said it just like that. (laughs) And don't rewind the tape. (laughs) Hey, it is like 90 degrees, and I had to turn the AC off to not ruin our audio quality, so. (laughs) These are the sacrifices we make, okay? (laughs) So, aside from getting naked, what have you been up to, lady? Not that much. I'm getting ready to finally take a long-awaited vacation to California. Oh, I'm so, so excited for you. I'm <laughs> Me too. so, so excited. Yeah. You deserve it. Oh, thank you. Yeah, so that'll be great. Right now, though, I am currently sleep-deprived, and if we have any listeners out there who are lawyers, I would like to know... <laughs> Where is this going? <laughs> I would like to know if it would be considered justifiable homicide if I murdered my upstairs neighbor who has been marathoning Game of Thrones for two weeks straight at full fucking volume. What? And he listens to the intro and the outro music for every episode. Oh, Even if no. he watches five in a row. Every episode, Rachel. You, should, you know what you should do? You should go up there and write all the spoilers on a piece of paper and slide <laughs> it under his door. <laughs> you could be like, oh, spoiler alert for you. Those of you out there who haven't watched him, you be like, so-and-so is is so-and-so son <laughs> yeah. this is what happens with cersei like just right. spoil every single plot point and then just slide <laughs> it under the door and hope that that ends it yeah. and i mean yeah and be like and also the last season sucks <laughs> <laughs> the night king goes out like a chump ruin everything <laughs> ruin it all <laughs> I hadn't thought of that solution, but it's interesting. I might, well, I might modern problems call for modern solutions. Yeah, it's probably better than homicide. So, <laughs> I mean, less jail time. I mean, is it a moral crime to spoil an you know an entire series for someone? Yes, <laughs> yes, it is. But sometimes, you know, you gotta do what you gotta do. You gotta do what you gotta do, right? <laughs> you gotta do what you gotta do. All right. So, aside from plotting murders. What yeah. else has been happening? Because, you know, I live for these updates. I need to know what is happening with the Pizza Go slash White Claw, whatever the reverse of a bandit is. The <laughs> um, White Claw Robin Hood? I don't know. <laughs> so the last time I talked to you about it, I told yes. you that I had had a, a flood in my apartment and they had cut yes. all these holes into the walls. Yes. And then you and Caitlin, who was our guest last time, hypothesized that perhaps Mm. my manager my building manager was maybe planting cameras in my apartment and that was what was going on (laughs) 
That's a very dark way. <laughs> I mean, I don't want it. it to be true. It just right. occurred right, right. to the timing and the amount, the volume of time that he manages to get into your apartment. All right. So suspect. I had about a week before they closed up the holes in my wall. So mm-hmm. I did take a flashlight and I may have taped a mirror to the end of a long stick <laughs> <laughs> to look up into the wall. Remember what I said about modern solutions? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. And what did you see? Nothing, really. Okay. Just wires and stuff. I, wires I hope and stuff. Just normal and pipes. I. And lenses and a battery pack. (laughs) No, no, no. no. And reel-to-reel tape running. You know, normal (laughs) shit you find in the wall. (laughs) I was reading online that if there's camera lenses or whatever, that a flashlight will catch, you know, you'll be able to see it that way because it'll catch Mm -hmm. the light. And I didn't see anything like that. I did, however, possibly drop a mirror into my wall and I couldn't get it back. (laughs) So it now just lives inside the wall that's been closed up. Oh my god, I hope someday someone finds it and they're just like, oh. What the fuck? It turns into some little gothic horror story. <laughs> that would be great. I would love the girl that. in the wall. Yeah. So I did a bunch of reading about it because you guys kind of freaked me out a little bit. And <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Listen, I'm, I don't like that I freaked you out, but I also feel like if that actually happened... Yeah, I mean, I should you know need about to, that. You should sure. know. Yeah, I yeah. Mean, I feel like in school they need to teach you how to balance your checkbook, check for cameras, <laughs> apply for a mortgage, basic... Life skills? Life skills, uh-huh. yes, exactly. <laughs> so I was reading that a lot of times they're hidden in the shower head, like we had talked about. Mm, yeah. Or in light fixtures. Yeah, that makes so sense. So I took apart all of my light fixtures and I took apart the shower thingy. And... What was your mom thinking when you were just disassembling <laughs> the apartment? She was like, meth? Right, right. <laughs> what is going on? Because you are such a night owl anyway and, and now you're taking shit apart. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a good sign, I guess. <laughs> but I didn't find anything. I mean, good. I don't know... Hopefully that means that there isn't anything. I guess there are these detectors you can buy, but I was looking Mm -hmm. and they're like $80. And I was like, Uh, I don't know if I want to spend that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although we should crowdsource that shit. (laughs) Put it on your Amazon wish list. See if anybody kicks in a little cash for one. So I don't know. I'm hoping that that means that there are no cameras anywhere. Okay, good. And that everything like that is safe. But. (laughs) But. Oh, God. I did find another thing on my doorstep. (gasps) you did i did okay so i came home i'd had again you were out this is very suspicious i I had to run to the pharmacy and when i got back okay this is really weird and i it might just be trash (laughs) but there was a mcdonald's cup without a lid full of fanta like orange soda what yeah now, I was going to take a picture for you because I thought that would be funny, but I accidentally kicked it over and then I had to pour a bucket of water on my front porch area. To... <laughs> this is up. the most aerial end <laughs> to this story. So was it full or was it half full? No, it was pretty full and it had ice in it and everything. So the ice had not melted and it was not pretty totally. full. That yeah. is not trash. That is another But it offering. had no lid or straw. I feel like that's weird. Isn't that weird? All of it is weird. 
Yeah, that's a fair point. Fair point. Yeah, yeah. All of this is weird. (laughs) I will say it's once again we're back in not consumable territory for obvious reasons. For one thing, you kicked it over, but also I was not going to drink. No, no, no. No, no. I mean that's some basic, basic. Don't take a drink or leave a drink unattended. (laughs) Shit. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Oh my god! How are we going to find out who this is? You left them a note and they didn't respond. You can't get a camera on them. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do, but our you're going to have to our... set a trap. Yeah. Okay. So one of our longtime listeners, Eddie, okay, he made a suggestion once that I should set some kind of home alone style trap for this dude. He uh-huh. also wrote me an email and suggested that I put a note on my door that says something about you know if you're delivering to this name and put my name on there, then this is the correct address. Otherwise, don't leave things and see that way. If it is just being misdelivered it would fix that problem and if it still keeps coming then i would know that it was actually for me you know the only problem is is you know do you want to put your name on your front door because if there is a creeper they could just be like hey ariel and you'd be like huh do you know me you're in a van oh yeah that's a fair point yeah i, don't I mean know i don't think that. i would get in a stranger's van just because they knew no no, no. i mean <laughs> You, they pull you into the van area. Oh. <laughs> I'm not saying you're like, you know my name. I love candy. No, I'm saying, you know, like they would distract you, like get your attention, snatch you. Gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> I, <laughs> Makes more sense. Do you really think that I have that opinion of you? Come on. You're one of the smartest people I know. This is like when I told my mom she should get a ragdoll cat, and she thought I meant have her get a ragdoll. She's like, I'm not crazy. <laughs> like a doll cat? <laughs> yes. I was like, you can get a ragdoll. They let you carry them around. Because I meant ragdoll cats just kind of like flop. Yeah, and She yeah. thought I meant a literal ragdoll. She's like. <laughs> That's adorable. <laughs> no, mom. <laughs> that's so cute (laughs) Uh, but okay so what i what i meant by trap is not necessarily some rube goldbergian you come home and someone's hanging by their foot over your i mean they wouldn't even like put a camera outside so yeah that's true i think it's more that this person is very good at figuring out when you're not home yeah so i feel like you need to do some sort of stakeout a fake out of some kind make it seem like you're going somewhere and then sneak back and post up in a place where you could spy oh, someone yeah. coming by. Be very vocal about like, I'm just going to run to the store or something like that. And then sneak back and see if you could get your eyeballs on someone. Ooh, I could definitely do that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I Because this it. person is not communicating. I mean, aside from through literal physical objects. <laughs> And we can't figure out some way to to see them. That's the best I've got because they're not responding. Yeah. Which makes me think it's not the guy upstairs, right? Because I feel like he would be angling for an in at this point. I feel like it too because I do chat with him sometimes too because he has the cutest dog that I like to play with. But Mm, Okay. So I feel like he would have the opportunity to say something if that was – the case. Clearly, you he's not I mean? afraid to shoot his shot in life, unless yes, we, <laughs> I guess <laughs> we don't actually know if he is paying for people's time. Oh, oh, I hadn't even thought of that. Yeah, I suppose that's possible, right? 
So maybe he is super shy. <laughs> I don't I don't know. I mean, on one hand, if these are more social connections, then clearly he has the confidence to go for it. But maybe he doesn't. Hmm. He's watching a lot of Game of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> if that's any indication, yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying. But yeah, I think I think your next step is a stakeout. All right, I'm gonna do it. All right, this is the best. You know. Yes. <laughs> on, on one hand, I'm really excited for you to find out who this is, but on the other hand, I'm like, oh, but the mystery is so compelling. <laughs> but ultimately, I mean, the, the, I want. What know. if the solution is super boring? Yeah. I I mean, no matter what the solution is, it's going to be awesome, right? Because then the next step is to be figuring out why. Why? Once yeah, we know the that's who. True. We still won't know the why. Although maybe it'll be self-explanatory. Maybe it yeah. will just be your upstairs neighbor crushing on you. Maybe it'll be someone else in the building you who has seen you go for walks and is too shy to say something. We don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I do think I think there is a secret admirer in the in in the Okay, well, you know what? If we're back to that, it's much better than somebody secretly videotaping me in my own apartment so i'm I mean, on board I don't, to figure that i don't that see why i mean because here's out. the thing is if he was secretly videotaping you why would he continue to be giving you things he would have gotten access to your house and be getting what he wanted so <laughs> true <laughs> i think <laughs> yeah this is someone that's i think afraid to approach you okay oh my god what if there are there any like small access panel doors in the walls are you gonna see someone come out of a wall and like put it and then sneak back into the wall oh my god <laughs> <laughs> you know there's like all these stories of like someone didn't know that there was someone living in their attic yeah, or in like their cabinet for that's a year fucking terrifying i'm just wondering if maybe not in your specific apartment but if you have a building dweller you know a secret building dweller who's Yikes. coming out of the walls to deposit gifts i really don't care for that one <laughs> do you want me to go back to the super <laughs> i'm just spitballing i'm okay. just spitballing i'm All not right. saying i think that's what it is i'm just saying we need to be open to possibilities all right well i'm gonna hold a stakeout and yes. get sunglasses and a trench coat or something if you can get hide. him on camera <laughs> my birthday is in september that is what i want <laughs> And yes, oh my god, can you please get a stakeout outfit on, like hat, sunglasses, trench coat, or some, and then send me a photo, please. <laughs> we need, yeah, detective air. Listen, you, your life has been training you for this moment. Every decision you've made, every episode of Matlock you've watched over and over again, <laughs> all have been leading to this moment. <laughs> this moment, uh-huh. Where yeah. you have a real life mystery on your hands and you get to be Detective Ariel. Ariel P.I. That's true. It's kind of my childhood dream. Yes. You know what, Ariel? You should be a private investigator. Why are you not becoming a private investigator? <laughs> I don't know. I really wanted to be one when I was a kid. Really badly. I don't see why you shouldn't, couldn't become one now. I mean, most of the work is late at night. That's you true. It was built for this me. shit. Yeah. Yeah. You could just be out walking your dog, but really spying. It'd be perfect. That's a good point. Hmm. 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 Anyway, <laughs> shall we talk about horror movies? Yeah, let's talk about horror movies. <laughs> All right. Cool. All right. So this time we are going to be talking about not one, not two, 
but tres horror movies. We're going to be talking about the Fear Street trilogy currently on Netflix, directed by the one and only Lee Janiak. Yes. Yes, I'm very excited to Me talk too. about this with you. Like, I mean, I feel like we have been talking about it a little bit just because we've been all in on the Discord as we, they've been coming out, but we haven't really dug into it yet. So I'm super, super excited to do that with you. Yeah, me too. Because, you know, we heard about these movies back when we reviewed Honeymoon. Right. Right. And we've been looking forward to it ever since then. So, yeah, yes, this was very exciting. Most definitely. But before we get into any of that. What is our spoiler policy so that people know what to expect? Okay, so we are going to give you some of our general overview thoughts of the trilogy and whether you should check it out or not, kind of what we think. And that'll all be non-spoiler. And then we're going to move into spoiler review territory. And at that point, we're going to talk about every plot point and the ending and the twist. So if that's something that bothers you, go watch it on Netflix and come on back or yes. live life on the edge and just stick with us. All right. Well, <laughs> well three movies, people. Yes. So just so you know, you can't just be so bad. But first, let's talk a little bit about our director, Lee Janiak, and the story behind the making of this movie, because there are actually some twists and turns. Oh, okay. Cool. Much like the movie, it's movies themselves. Okay. <laughs> so this is the first. This is the first time, but definitely not the last time that this has happened, where we're, we're covering the work of a director that we've covered before. Yeah. Which means this bio may be a little shorter than we typically do because we've covered Lee Janiak in the past. If you want the full bio, check out episode 14, where we covered her first film, The Excellent Honeymoon. But with that said, here's a little bit about our girl, Lee. She is originally from Cleveland, Ohio. In high school, she was involved with theater, where she directed plays and made videos. But she never really thought that being a filmmaker was a career that she could pursue. So instead, she, when she went to NYU, she started studying literature and comparative religion and then went on to grad school at the University of Chicago to study modern Jewish literature. So fascinating. I know. It's so interesting. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm so bad. I totally went back and stole some of your notes. And yeah. I didn't include this here, but I, there's this whole thing about how she feels that religion and films have a lot in common because they're both ways that we tell myths. So cool. Yeah. Yeah. I love the way she thinks. Yeah. Oh, my God. She, yes. I've been reading a lot of interviews with mm -hmm. her to prep for this, and she is so rad, as, as is the typical female horror filmmaker. However... Despite thinking she could never be a filmmaker, in the most 90s kid move ever, she was inspired when she saw the films Pulp Fiction and Trainspotting, <laughs> <laughs> which she credits as making her realize that making movies is her true passion and what she wanted to do with her career. So she dropped out of her PhD program, threw caution to the wind, and moved her entire ass life to Los Angeles in 2005. It takes such guts to do that, but clearly Seriously. the right move. <laughs> no, right? If you wondered if she was a flash in the pan, right. she just she just dropped three movies <laughs> in a month that would tell you otherwise. So she began working as a script reader and eventually struck out on her own to make Honeymoon, which received a lot of buzz and positive reviews, including from us, and did really, really well on the horror festival circuit. From there, she went on to direct some TV. She directed episodes of the Cinemax horror series Outcast, the Scream TV series, and Panic, which is a young adult sort of thrillery horror thing, which I have not watched yet. Can which I is admit on to you that I have watched it. Oh, okay. Was it any good? So I decided to watch the first episode because I read that she directed the pilot. Oh, 
Oh, okay. And then I kind of got hooked on it, and now I'm eight episodes in. Oh, no. <laughs> Is it good? It's actually pretty good. It's a teen drama with a central mystery, so it oh, drew me in done. immediately. It's over. Whatever. Yep. <laughs> okay, if someone wanted to lure you into a van, I know. they wouldn't need to know your name. They'd just be like, you know what we got in here? Teen dramas with a central mystery. <laughs> Some of the acting's going to be a little shaky, but that mystery, ooh, the cliffhangers, and you're like, getting into the yep. van like it's Silence of the Lambs. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 100%. <laughs> All right. So that, as you said, is out now. It's on Prime. And next, she is directing two episodes of the upcoming HBO Max limited series, The Staircase. Oh, rad. That's yes, awesome. About Michael Peterson this is a true story about this writer, Michael Peterson, who may or may not have killed his <laughs> wife. And Al did it. <laughs> and they are making a miniseries. There's a whole documentary series that you can watch. And I highly recommend if yeah. you're a true crime nerd. It's, uh, you're going to learn a lot about a blowpoke. I'll tell you that much. And it is not <laughs> as sexy as it sounds. I'm just saying. And an Al did it. Definitely an Al. <laughs> So yeah, so that is what I've got for our girl Lee. Do you want to hear a little bit about the making of this hair movie? Or these yeah, I don't know anything films? about it. I'd love to hear. Okay. So these movies have a pretty long and complicated journey to screen. Oh, okay. Yes. Starting like the movies themselves back in the 1990s. <laughs> in 1997, Hollywood Pictures, remember them? Yes. No thing. They struck a deal to acquire Fishery, and the plan was to turn them into a Scream-like franchise. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I think, as we can see here, the potential is definitely there. Yes. <laughs> However, that fell into development hell and eventually just sort of disappeared. In 2015, a single film was being developed by 20th Century. And then in 2017, they announced that it wouldn't be one film, but three, and that Lee Janiak was taking over and directing, as well as rewriting the film with her creative partner, Phil. They were going to shoot them back to back and then release them theatrically a month apart. Each movie at that time would have been self-contained for the most part and have a satisfying conclusion at the mm, end of each movie with okay. kind of a smaller link to a larger okay. overall story. That makes more sense for a theatrical release. Right. Because, I mean, while they it was probably going to be a month apart, there is some sort of discrepancy on exactly how long. Mm -hmm. It could have been longer than a month apart. It could be in every three or four months. It was unclear. But they wanted to, they didn't want people to feel unsatisfied when they came out of the movies. So they were going to have more definitive ends instead of the cliffhangers that we got in this series. So in March 2019, they began shooting the, mo the movies this way. This was the plan when they began shooting it. Oh, wow. It shot in Georgia for 106 days and wrapped in September 2019, just under the wire of the whole pandemic Shit, thing. That was lucky. <laughs> Even before the pandemic hit, right? They got hit with something else, which was that the long-rumored Disney-Fox merger suddenly became a reality. Oh, right. Yeah. In an interview with RogerEbert.com, Janiac said she was worried about what that meant for her R-rated movie. Yeah, uh, she, I would be yeah. too. Yeah. She said, Disney doesn't really make horror movies. <laughs> they make a lot of things in a great way, but R-rated horror is not really their jam, she said. But she said that everyone was so excited about the, what they had seen that there was a part of her that just really believed that it would all work out. Though she was determined that she was not going to 
cut them to the point where they were no longer R-rated. When oh, she took on the project, it was with the stipulation that they would be R-rated because like you and I have discussed and are firm believers, you cannot make a PG-13 slasher. No. No, it's terrible. It's like don't making it. a comedy without jokes. Yeah. It don't make no sense. No. <laughs> right? Yeah, I'm really glad she stuck to her guns there because it, they would not have been nearly as good if they had been no. PG-13. Yeah. No. I mean, PG-13 slashers Mm-mm. need to die. Yeah. Okay, so if that weren't enough, along comes the pandemic. And like pretty much every other film, these films were impacted by it as well. For one thing, they were pulled from the theatrical release schedule because I of think course. they were supposed to come out well, a year before, right? In 2020? Yeah, yeah. And there were some talks of what the future would be like for Fear Street with Disney. As it turns out, Netflix had wanted this ever since it had been greenlit, or actually prior to it when it was greenlit, before they had really written anything, Netflix was really interested in this. And oh. so when they saw kind of an opening here, Janiac said they just basically jumped on it and and basically picked up the rights because it was a third party working with Fox. And mm. so Disney was kind of unsure about whether or not they wanted to continue with 30 third party projects. And so Netflix was like, yoink. So they grabbed it. And at that point is when it became the much more interconnected stories that we finally ended up seeing on screen. That is when we started having the cliffhangers and things like that, which are actually very true to the source material. All the chapters kind of were cliffhangery. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, so that all got incorporated in because a lot of what was happening before was it was a little amorphous about, like I said, about how they didn't know exactly how long they were going to be apart. It probably would be a month between them, but Netflix had a very specific idea in mind. They wanted to make it this, you know, back to back, back weeks. So she really had a great experience with them. She said that she she was joking in another interview. I read that she has really drank the Netflix Kool-Aid, that (laughs) she had total creative control and that they basically gave her everything she wanted. One of the things that this, these movies have is the most incredible soundtrack, right? It is, it is. And the number of songs on here is wild. It's just like, boom, 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 banger, 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 banger. And she said they basically were like, yep, so you can have all of them. And wow. didn't push back on anything. Because before she even sat down to write the movie, she wrote a set list of mood music. She knew she wanted to have the Pixies in there. And she knew that she wanted to have Nine Inch Nails. And she knew that she wanted to have the Soundgarden song. Those are all things she had planned going in. And then she got all of them. Oh, that's so cool. Yes. So as for the future of the franchise... Lee has some pretty ambitious plans for it. Depending on how well it does for Netflix, and my guess is it probably did pretty well. I mean, clearly you and I are in a horror bubble. so True, but it does I, seem like everybody was watching them and talking yes. about them. Every horror nerd out there I know was talking about these for the last three weeks. And yeah. so depending on how well they, they do, she has hopes and plans that this is just the beginning And she is referring to it as the horror Marvel universe. Oh, that's so exciting. She wants to do spinoffs. She wants to do things focused on individual killers that we didn't get to get backstories for. That could be really cool. She wants to do another trilogy, potentially. Mm. Okay, so here's what she said. I just feel like there's so many cool opportunities to tell, like the story of the Milkman, to tell the story of Ruby and a bunch of other killers that we never talk about. Beyond that, 
just the idea of shady side is kind of this place to reference buffy the vampire slayer like a hell mouth there is something happening in this town where the devil is lurking then hopefully continuing to explore what does that mean when the evil is just out there hanging out in the open could that be a trilogy as well i don't know i'm really excited about that possibility Oh, that sounds so cool. I want to see that. <laughs> I'm so excited. I would yeah. love another one. I also would just love to see this juggernaut Lee Janiac to just the stratosphere would be yeah, so yeah. exciting to see. I mean, this is so exciting because you and I have talked about how we keep wanting to see these indie directors who do a mm-hmm. movie that's very successful in the horror community get picked up by a big studio and producers with lots of money and get to make a big feature which is what's happened to a lot of male directors yes and it's so exciting that we're finally getting somebody who's on that trajectory yes to see her just thrive yeah it's so fun i don't know her personally but just as a fan of women horror directors this is a freaking delight to watch yeah it's so great that netflix supported her that she got tons of money to make these movies that she got so much creative control and that they're getting really good reviews. Yes. That's exciting. Yes. I I mean, I'm hoping that over the course of More Deadly, we get to do this with lots of the women that we yeah, talk about. Yeah, me too. I want to hear the a Nightmare Wigs director mm-hmm. be like, oh, by the way, I'm also doing this massive adaptation. Those are the things that I want. I'm yeah. hoping that we see over the course of the show. This is the first time it's happening. I hope that it happens a lot. Me too. I hope it's a sea change, you know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So that's pretty much all I have, except for that all three movies are available on Netflix now. So if you have not watched them, what are you doing? Go watch them. They're so good. And if you don't believe me, (laughs) we're about to give you a non-spoiler review. Yeah. (laughs) All right. In a non-spoiler way, tell me, Ariel, what did you think of these here movie films? Okay. So I'm going to be pretty vague because there are so many twists and turns. Yeah in these movies that I feel like it's going to be a little bit hard to talk about them. And we have three movies to talk about. So I'm going to be quick. (laughs) Yeah. I love these movies. I think that there are little beats maybe that aren't perfect, but overall I think these movies are so much fun. Mm -hmm. They're a great time. We get to revisit the teen slasher genre through Mm -hmm. modern eyes, but with all of these nostalgic elements that are really fun and nods to horror movies, which I'm sure we'll get into in the spoiler talk. There is amazing gore, great kills, Yes, where it's not happening off camera. You are seeing people be decapitated and such. Oh, (laughs) there is a kill that we will talk about. Ooh, yeah. (laughs) I was not ready. I was not either. You know that mean my body is ready? My body was not ready. (laughs) (laughs) It's so much fun. And I just feel like there's this lightness to these movies Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. as a horror fan... I love talking about the artsy indie films that we want to pull apart and really talk about. But I also really love dumb slasher movies. And this one is that dumb, light, fun, but it's got enough stuff added in to make it really interesting and to keep you going through the series. I think the way that they're connected was something I didn't anticipate going into it. Because the way that they're connected and the type of killer it is, is not something that I've seen so much in slashers. I think it's kind of original in that way. Mm-hmm. You were saying the soundtracks are fantastic. Jesus. Amazing. <laughs> they started with Nine Inch Nails and I was like, and I'm in. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you watched the first one before I did. And I, that was one of the first things you posted on Discord. And I was like, yes. 
<laughs> it's just it's so good and it's so much fun and yeah I just really loved it and the other thing that I think is really cool is most of the slashers that we saw in the late 70s and through the mid 80s and then again in the 90s they are all focused on straight love stories yes and this one the central love story is a queer lesbian love story and that is something new and I think it was, you know, for the most part done really well. And I think that's exciting, especially for younger people that are watching it, too. So, yeah, I'm just excited by these because I think they're so much fun. Yeah. OK, so I totally agree. <laughs> <laughs> this is by far the most fun that I've had with horror all year. And I yeah. think one of the things about the last two years and the way that the pandemic has impacted the release of films is that it has created space for a lot of really amazing indie horror films to come through. Mm -hmm. It's really allowed a lot of you know female filmmaker voices to be heard. But a lot of those films, these smaller films that usually fly under the radar that are getting covered, tend to be a little bit more in the art house more serious more serious yeah. and i love it but i like you i also love this <laughs> yeah and so i didn't even realize because i've had such a great time watching censor and what are some of the other really great ones that came out this year i really like the violation. power violation i mean jesus this is the could not be <laughs> further from violation right both movies i loved but I didn't realize that I needed this other side of horror too. I was really missing it. And so, like you said, this is this perfect blending of joy and just total gruesomeness. Yeah. And it is full of all the things that I just love about popcorn horror, right? Yeah, because that's what one of the things we're missing. And we got to have this that similar experience of the sort yes. of big blockbuster horror yes. movies at home which was really cool yes yes i agree i have that in my notes as well just <laughs> it's, it's in my overalls so i won't go into it but okay i love that they're both an homage like you said to the slasher genre of the 70s and 80s but also of the 90s but you know there's things that you and i we were 90s kids we have great affection for that era we went to slumber parties as kids so we have great affection for 80s and 70s horror slasher kind of films yeah exactly but, and i think what this does though is that it takes all of these elements of slashers and stays true to them in the spirit of a slasher mm -hmm. but it deconstructs and subverts some of the worst and most problematic tropes that are rampant yeah. in them yeah it has all true. the best bits of a slasher without the inevitable cringe factor that you kind of have to be like, oh, it was the 80s or oh, it was the 90s. It has all the stuff that you go to those for without you ha having to. There's no sort of moral cost to it at all. Right. Right. These are full of characters that I genuinely cared about and strong performances to back them up. I mean, we're going to have some probably some nits to pick here and there with some of the performance, but largely where it matters, everybody is really great. I think it is super exciting that Janiac was able to pull off three whole ass movies back to get back to yeah. back without yeah, in my opinion a dud in the bunch they're yep. all really really great and honestly if you have not seen these yet 
I normally I would not tell you don't listen to our podcast, but don't go watch it. <laughs> Come back. Yeah. I I think there is some stuff that can it could really be spoiled. There's within each of the stories and the overall story. There's a lot of twists and turns and real payoffs for going in without having spoiled it yourself. So you don't want to miss that experience. If you haven't watched them yet, go watch them. We'll be here. Come back. Then you can geek out with us. But overall, my review is all the thumbs up. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. All right, cool. So Ariel, we are going to go through these one by one. And we're going to try. This first movie is I think I have the most notes on. So don't panic if I talk about this for a long time. But I think we're going to try to keep these relatively brief brief, and then have an overall review. So we're going to just go one by one through the synopsises, starting with 1994. Yes. All right. So we are now in the spoiler zone, my friends. (laughs) Big spoilers ahead. you You need to go and come back. Go and come back. (laughs) <laughs> then come back okay. uh-huh. <laughs> I, I don't know if I'm really good at vamping or really bad <laughs> but it is what it is folks alright you've had enough time Ariel lay that synopsis on me okay so I thought that I could write two sentence three sentences synopsis since we're doing three movies but there's so much that happens You're in adorable. these films <laughs> that I had a hard time with that. So I'm going to get, I'm going to try to read it through real quickly. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. So the first film, Fear Street 1994, is set in a town called Shady Side that has a history of sort of bad luck in these really brutal killings going back centuries. The movie opens with a young woman being murdered in the local mall and the sheriff named Nick Good shooting the killer. After that, we follow our main character, Dina, who recently broke up with her girlfriend, Sam, who had to move to their rival town, Sunnyside, where all the rich kids live. Many shady siders believe that the bad luck and the murders that are happening in their town are caused by a witch named Sarah Fear, who cursed the town in the 1600s. After a vigil for the murdered teenagers who died in the mall, the shady side and Sunnyside kids get into a fight, and eventually this causes a car accident, and Sam is in the car. So she crawls from the wreckage and she puts her hand in some maybe bones and has a vision of Sarah Fear, the witch. Dina and her two friends, Simon and Kate, and her little brother, Josh, who is obsessed with researching Sarah Fear and the killings, start noticing that they're being stalked and then past killers start to show up and murder people. <laughs> they think that <laughs> Sam maybe disturbed Seraphir's grave and blood on her bones and that that triggered the curse being released again. So they try some insane things to stop it, including killing and resuscitating Sam. Mm-hmm. Dina's friends die in the process. One Ooh, of the kills yes, we will be talking do. about. <laughs> some of them harder than others. Yes. <laughs> But they think that killing and resuscitating Sam has stopped the curse. Unfortunately, that is not the case. The movie ends with Sam being possessed and Dina receiving a call from a woman named C. Berman who survived a massacre at Camp Nightwing in the 70s and who says that you cannot escape the witch. (sighs) So good. It's (laughs) so so good. good. I've watched it twice now and it's so good both times. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I'm already thinking I want to rewatch the whole trilogy. Yes. Yeah. I will say rewatching them, there is a ton of payoff. Oh, I bet. I bet there's way more stuff that I didn't notice that mm-hmm. connects all three of them the mm-hmm. first time through. I wish I had had the time to to watch them again. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to – I'll go first on this one. We'll take turns. Yeah, go for okay. it. Okay. So 
this movie i think really sets the tone for everything that follows you know you mm-hmm. you get the sense right away that it almost feels a little light it feels a little teeny boppery uh maybe a little pg-13 until the stabbing starts <laughs> that <laughs> first kill is surprisingly brutal it is yes and the killer is super awesome it's this great homage to Ghostface with it but it still has its own identity and it really does kind of perpetuate through the entire film where you just get these great slasher kills that lives up to that and it is further proof like I said that slashers cannot be PG-13 this movie is also packed with a ton of charm and nostalgia, but not in a way that is super winky at the audience. It's not gimmicky. It just happens to pay- take place in 1994, and it communicates that a lot more with music and just not having cell phones than really in right. any other ways. It's not shticky. It just, like I said, happens to have to be taking place in 1994. It also has real stakes which is not necessarily what I expected from a slashery movie based on a young adult, you know, book series. Right. But because it's unflinching and willing to kill off just about everyone, you know, it does have a lot of stakes because in addition to that, you also really care about the characters, especially Dina and Sam and also her brother. I love her brother so much. I love her brother so much. Oh my God. I was like, protect him at all costs. I know. He cannot die. And that kind of comes to one of the other things. Like, we were talking about how this is a popcorn flick and it's just kind of fun. But I actually think there's a lot more to this movie. And that is why it's even, it it elevates it for me, right? Yeah. Because one of the things I appreciated most of all is that, and I think, and I know for a fact it's very intentional in Janie's part, is that it takes the theme of marginalization using shady ciders. Uh, yes. as sort of like the outcasts and the the poor marginalized people and it centers on the characters that would typically be marginalized in a slasher your leads are queer they're people of color they're a lower socioeconomic class but instead of being just fodder as they would typically be in a slasher film they are your central characters they are who you emotionally invest in they are your heroes they are your final girls and boys and when we're so accustomed to seeing them just padding for the body count, this feels like a fresh modern take on the genre. And what we end up with, in addition to just being a fun popcorn slashery film, is this story about classism, systemic raw, generational trauma, the yeah. death of empathy that is both thematically resonant through the series, but also, girl, in real life. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, these movies are. They're fun pop culture zeitgeisty films, but they also are super culturally relevant in that aspect. They are the, in my opinion, epitome of the sugar that makes the medicine go down. Yeah, because there's nothing ham-fisted about the way that she presents these things. Mm -hmm. It's very light and enjoyable, and you're understanding that there is this stuff about class and the rich and the poor and what's happening there, but it's not shoved in your face in a no. preachy way at all. It's just sort of the background for these films, but ultimately says some kind of important things mm-hmm. in the midst of just being this fun, gory slasher movie. Totally. I mean, it's endemic to the themes of the story. They never say it. You are required to unpack it as a part of unpacking the larger plot of the movie. Yeah. And then it just kind of, you have these little like, oh, 
epiphanies as you go through it, especially when we get to the third one. Right. Yeah, I think that this movie does a great job of setting up a really fun mythology and you get to kind of unpack, like I said, unpack it, but also just sort of solve the mystery in this first movie. But then by the end, you get to do it all over again and everything has new meaning in a way that honestly, like I said, the second time through really was even more fun in mm-hmm. some ways. I bet. Yeah. And it's full of these awesome killers that I don't know about you, but I really want to know more about them. Oh, I want to know about so the much. weird little kid with the baseball bat. The kid with the baseball bat is so awesome. What yes. I would love to know more about that. Yes. I mean, I, this could easily be chapters of an anthology. Yeah, totally. Like I said, watching it through the second time was really interesting because the movie, the, even starting at the very beginning of this movie, it really lays out everything. It, it's all out in the open. You're just not interpreting it that way the first time. For instance, the first section opens with a prolonged shot of the tree, which is covered yeah. in that red moss. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. You know, and it's, there's all these, and you see some of them when they do the flashback at the very end and kind of show you a little evidence of what's been going on but now once you know what is really happening you can see it it's right there in front of your face right it's not it's right. like the beginning of midsummer where they're like here's the plot of the movie it's all this. <laughs> but i mean it's not quite that overt but it's all there it's all present and it's all once you see it you're like oh this is what this person is doing this is what they actually this is what they're saying and what what this actually means there's a double meaning to this and it it's very smartly put together and this one definitely had the best kill of the of the series i think yeah oh yeah the bread slicer yes the fucking iconic I mean, first of all, I didn't expect that character to die that way. Oh, no. And as quickly as she did. <laughs> oh, and then to see it in such graph. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the camera does not shy away from showing you because she doesn't just die in a bread slicer. Her head goes through a fucking bread slicer. And it is right. It is amazingly gory in the best way. I mean, that's one that if you were in the theater watching it with people, people would yes. cheer, I yeah. feel like, you know? Yeah. I mean, they de- we definitely cheered in my living room. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like we were all waiting for everyone else to see it. You know what uh-huh. I mean? We were like, have you watched it yet? Have you watched it yet? Did you see the fucking bread slicer? Because you think she's going to go in and if she's going to die, you're just going to get the cut to like yes. blood splatter. Oh, no, babe. You see the other yep. side of the bread yeah. slicer. And that's when you know what you're going to get into with this series, really, because you get some good kills before that. And even the opening scene, like you were saying, you get, you know, some good stabbing and stuff. But that really set the tone. That bread slicer set the tone. Woo, woo, woo. I don't know that it ever (laughs) quite reached that level again. No, but you get some you get some pretty good ones. later. Oh, yeah, for sure. But I mean, it does tell you, oh, we're not fucking around. Yeah, exactly. If you thought we were, <laughs> we're not. Yeah, these are based on preteen books, but we're going for it. Yes, yes. I threw this quote in the Discord about when Janiac read these growing up and really loved mm-hmm. them. And she said they always felt very like, subversive and a little edgy and maybe a little something like she wasn't supposed to be reading. And then she referenced uh-huh. Casey Andrews and 
forever became the queen of my heart. <laughs> but yeah, I think that she really leaned into that and it really paid off, at least for me. Yeah, definitely. I listened to an interview that Mick Garris did with her on mm -hmm. his postmortem podcast. Awesome. And she was saying that she didn't want the script to just be an adaptation of a book, a right. specific book. Right. But she wanted these movies to feel the way she felt reading those books. Like you were saying, the fact that they were subversive and racy and there was hints yeah. of sex and violence. Mm -hmm. And when she read those she felt like, oh my gosh, I'm reading something that's so beyond probably what I should be reading. And she wanted that feeling in the film. And I feel like that's successful. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, one of the things that she does, like I said, is subvert tropes. Like, there's sex in this. And the final mm -hmm. girls get to have sex. Yeah. With each other. And yes, they do. You know what I mean? And not get punished for that sex. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the my favorite scenes in the movie other than all the killing and stuff mm -hmm. is that whole bathroom section. I know that it might not be everybody's cup of tea because it slows down the movie a little bit, Yeah, but I thought it was so great. And especially because, okay, you essentially have three sets of people. I mean, one guy's on his own. <laughs> he's but... so funny. He's like, me too. I know. <laughs> I know. He's like, did you guys, <laughs> did you guys all go to pound town? Because I did. <laughs> <It's> so good. <laughs> He is so adorable yeah, and yeah. charming. Mm -hmm. But so the other two, you have the straight couple of the brother and the best friend character, and you see them kiss a little bit, and then the camera goes away. But with the lesbian couple, we actually stick with them for a while uh -huh. in that bathroom, and we get to see them and their passion and that lust between them in a way that we didn't with the straight couple. And I think that was really smart and really cool that yeah. we spend more time with them. I agree. I agree. Plus, I also am so invested. You know me. Oh, I don't. Yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. give a shit about a love story. I know, except <laughs> for this one. <laughs> yeah, and the cliffhanger ending obviously was so much fun. When the credits oh, so rolled on this, I was like, "Yep, ready. I'm ready." Yeah, and I love the little sneak preview for the next episode. I really, yeah, I was really hyped for this in a way that I haven't really been all year. You know what I mean? So I totally, I totally agree. Yeah. yeah. I needed yeah. this kind of fun in my life, you know? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Totally. Especially right now when everything feels yes. like coming down again. Again, everything is so joyless. This is like a little spark of fun. All right. What about you? What did you think? What did I not okay. blah, blah, blah about already? Yeah. So I think we pretty much covered almost all of it. I just want to say a couple of things. And you touched on how the opening scene is an homage to Scream. Yes. And it is... It's just so much fun. And I think as a horror fan, you immediately kind of caught on to what was happening, that it was this homage to Scream, but it's not so heavy handed or cut and dry, like a, a carbon copy. It's just this sort of fun nod to what Scream did, but then it also kind of subverts it in the end because the killer is unmasked immediately. Yeah. So you're kind of thrown for a loop, like that's not what I expected to happen. You know, I maybe yeah. expected her to die because I was catching on to the fact that it was Scream, but not that. So I think that was just really fun and really cool. And mm -hmm. it does some of that in the 78 one too, where mm -hmm. there are nods to, you know, horror, re very recognizable horror movies for that, yes. from that era. And oh, it's yeah. done in such a good way. And I think that these movies are successful because they effectively mine that 90s nostalgia or that 70s nostalgia without, like you were saying, falling into some of those less fun tropes that we all know about. Mm -hmm. And I mean, like, 
the fact that our characters aren't punished for their sexual desires, right? And that yes. our characters who are the sort of pill-pushing, druggy ones are not judged in the script because of what they're doing because it, right. it's made clear why they're doing it. Do you yes. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so it's very different that way. But it also doesn't feel like it's pandering to me as a fan of 90s slashers because – I'm a big fan of those slasher movies. I know they're not everybody's cup of tea and some people feel like they're cheesy, but I love that era, especially because I was young in 94 and, but it was that first kind of time where I was starting to pick out movies myself and Mm -hmm. develop my own tastes in movies that weren't just sort of what my dad was showing me, or maybe I was seeing at a random friend's house, you know? Yeah. And so they hold a special place in my heart. So, yeah, I love the main characters. I think they're yes. fun. The two friends are just so charming and so much fun. And the little brother and his serial killer wall is so great. He's so cute. <laughs> he is so cute. And his little love story is very sweet mm-hmm. and adorable. Yeah. And, and what I think is so cool, too, is I think whenever we see a queer couple on screen, especially in a horror movie, you're really afraid that it's going to fall into that kill your gaze. Yes. And this movie does not do that. In fact, it's the straight couple that loses somebody, you know? So again, it's just subverting those things in a way that's really fun and not heavy handed. And I just, yeah, it's, it's really fun. And like I said, there are a few little nitpicky things that I have to talk about at the end, but for the most part, I think this movie is very fun and very enjoyable and everybody should watch it. So do you want to save your cons for the end or do you want to just go ahead and lay them on me? I don't know. What do you think? I mean, I don't really have any cons for this one. So okay, <laughs> it's totally up to you. If you want to go for it, like <laughs> we might as well just get it out of the way. Okay, sure, sure. So I would say that I think some people might have a little bit of a problem because a lot of the action in, in this film is loaded towards the end of the film Mm. and it is a longer movie you know it's almost two hours I think Mm -hmm. and so I think this one suffers a tiny bit in the pacing in the beginning but I honestly didn't care that much (laughs) like it's not that big of a con for me yeah I think the bigger thing is that I think that the characters for the most part are very compelling and very charming and I was super on board with them I personally think Sam is a little boring in this movie. And Mm. as the series went along, I got more and more on board with her. Gotcha. That's fair. But I wasn't immediately in this movie. And I also think that occasionally Dina's acting is a little spotty, too. Okay. That's fair. She also is clearly not a teenager. Yeah. (laughs) But that's that's something that most of these movies fall into anyways. Yeah. Totally. (laughs) That's fair. Yeah, I don't really have a ton of cons for these. I feel like it's a sign that, you know, me missed 70 minutes or get the fuck out. Yeah. Does not care that this is almost two hours yeah. long. And all three of them are. And you yeah. haven't complained about that not, part. I am yeah. fine with all of the runtime. <laughs> Everyone. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Let's go back, back, back in time to 1978. Ariel, drop that synopsis on me. Okay. So the Fear Street Part 2 is set in 1978. So after the first movie, the main characters that are still alive are Dina, her brother Josh, and her ex-girlfriend Sam, who is currently possessed and had to be tied up. So the movie starts where they go to see Berman's house, the woman who called them at the end of the first movie. She tells them about her experience in 1978 at Camp Nightwing, which is when and where the rest of the movie takes place. So at the camp, we're going to follow Ziggy and her older sister, Cindy, who is a camp counselor. And Ziggy is just a kid at the camp. A nurse at the camp 
tries to kill Cindy's boyfriend, Tommy, but she's arrested and doesn't actually kill him. The teens believe that she was possessed by the witch, Sarah Fear. Cindy and her former friend, Alice, find the nurse's diary, which has a map of Sarah Fear's house and says that Sarah Fear cut off her hand and made a deal with the devil for eternal life. They go to the witch's house and below it, there are caves where they find a wall that has names of past shady side killers carved into it. And Tommy's name is carved into it, too. Tommy becomes possessed and he kills Alice's boyfriend with an axe. It is gruesome and I love it. (laughs) And the two girls, Alice and Cindy, escape into the cave. Tommy starts slaughtering campers and counselors, which is also amazing. Yes. Ziggy is helped by camp counselor and Sunnyside Sheriff's son, Nick Good, until he's injured and they're separated. Back in the caves, Alice breaks her leg, but is able to find the witch's hand. I know. We'll talk about that. (laughs) Ziggy, Cindy, and Alice think that they can reunite the hand with Seraphir's body and end the curse, but Alice bleeds on it, which triggers the curse, and some of the past killers are resurrected and start coming after them. Tommy, unfortunately, kills Alice, and the girls realize that Sarah's body has been moved, so their plan to reunite the hand with her will not work. Cindy sacrifices herself, but unfortunately, Ziggy is killed, too. Luckily, Nick Good is able to resuscitate her. Then we come back to 1994, where after hearing this story, Dina, Josh, and Sam go to reunite the hand with the body. But when they do, Dina bleeds on the bones and has a vision of Sarah Fear in 1666. <laughs> and more than that, she's like John Malkoviching her. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very good way to put it. <laughs> All right. I went first last time. You go first this time. What did you think about this movie? So this one I think might be my favorite. It's so interesting. Everyone I talk to has a different favorite. Oh yeah? <laughs> yes. It's so crazy. I thought there would be a front runner, but I can never predict which one's gonna be everybody's favorite. It's different every person I talk to. Oh, that's so interesting. I mean, I can understand why because I really love all three of them. And mm-hmm. honestly, if you ask me tomorrow, I might pick a different one. Yeah. And it's hard for me not to pick the first one because of all the nineties stuff yeah. that I love mm-hmm. so much much but i also really love a camp movie yeah (laughs) i am very very fond of a movie set at a camp i never got to go to summer camp as a kid but i always loved the movies and wanted i desperately wanted to go to a sleepaway i went once and it was a real mixed bag oh really oh no (laughs) it's where i learned the term finger blasting and also had to take group showers which is a source of trauma and probably why i'm never nude now Oh, is that where it originated? It, it started in summer camp. Yes, girl. Yes. That's so funny. Freaking I obviously YMCA have summer camp. <laughs> I obviously have a weird idealized version in my oh, head I mean, of what that would have been like. Honestly, summer camp movies are kind of weirdly accurate because it is hormones on parade. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Kind of Lord of the Flies. <laughs> yeah. And a mix of childhood trauma and also first time exciting experience yeah yeah so i don't know it's it's i found them to be more accurate than like you know when you watch a prom movie you know right those things are bullshit everybody's not out there doing choreographed dances these are kind of <laughs> on point because they're just as awkward and also oh, that's so interesting yeah i didn't do as much arts and crafts but other than that <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> so yeah, so I love the aesthetics of this movie. I love the fashion. I love the music in this. I love the setting. I think all of that is so much fun. The original mm -hmm. Friday the 13th is one of my favorite slashers of all time. And this one references it a lot. But again, just like with the scream thing, I think it does it in a really fun, not heavy handed way. Yeah. And so I loved it instead of rolling my eyes at it. Sadie Sink Love. as Love. Ziggy is phenomenal. Love. <laughs> you cannot look away from her. Mm -mm. She is so good. And I love her sort of spitfire rebel spirit and the way she doesn't take shit from anybody. I know. She's so good. I had good. that anger. I wish I could have projected that Wait. anger at that Yes, age. me too. I would have I loved mean, to have had a little age. bit of that energy in me. <laughs> and I love that it does certain things differently with her character too. For instance, she kisses the boy first instead uh -huh. of the other way around. I think that's really fun. Yeah. You know, it takes a little while to get going because you're sort of getting the setup of the camp and how everything works. And I love that stuff. I love their prank with the bugs yes. and the bathroom that is yes. so much fun i love how violent this movie gets just like with the other one this one gets violent and it gets mean you expect in a movie like this that the kids are gonna be off get limits. out of this no, no, and that it's no. just gonna be the camp counselors but those kids get slaughtered yeah, too they do. Like the <laughs> some of them make it out on the bus like but doing the yes, i was like I no <laughs> But it's so good and the gore is so much fun. I mean, it doesn't pull punches. We get to see Cindy chop off her boyfriend's head with a shovel. It's yeah, so good. It's great. It's gruesome. It is gruesome. The killer axes multiple people in the face. <laughs> yeah, what's his name? Argus or Angus or something? When he gets yeah, Angus like in the face with that freaking axe, I was like, holy shit. Yeah, <laughs> like, okay, we're going there. All right. <laughs> yeah, it's great. When Alice breaks her leg oh. in the cave. God, again, compound fracture. Great. They're the worst. Oh, compound fractures freak me the fuck out. Yes. They always make me squirm and jump in my seat. And this is a good one. So uh, the other things I love about this, I love how it ties into the other movie that we get the piece at the front and the piece at the end yes. that tie it all up. I think that they did that in a really fun way where it's essentially mm -hmm. C. Berman telling this story to the kids. I love that, like in the first one, this film subverts a lot of those same tropes yes. where, for instance, the film is just as judgmental about the good girl, Cindy, suppose, you know, supposed good girl being fake mm -hmm. as it is to Alice doing drugs and having sex. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I love that about it. I think that older slashers would have labeled Alice as like an irredeemable slut, you know, mm -hmm. and she would have been killed off really quickly. And she does die. But before that happens, she has a great arc where yes. she teaches Cindy things, yes. you know, and their friendship is repaired. And you find out how good of a person she is, that she's willing to sacrifice herself and fight for her friends, that yeah. she really loved this boy, you know? Yeah. I think all of that stuff is is really cool and you probably wouldn't have seen in an older slasher movie from the era that this one's supposed to be set in. And that's really cool. And I just love the arc of their friendship yeah. as well. I think that the cool references to Friday the 13th are great. Our killer, eventually you find out how he's so the killer cool. from the first movie so when cool. the burlap sack is thrown over his head. And then he looks like the way that, you know, he looked in 
Friday the 13th part two. Yep. So that was really cool. I love that sort of fun nod to the movie. For sure. And I love how bloody the ending is too. Holy it's kind shit. of vicious, you know? That prolonged axing and stabbing scene yeah. is gnarly. And it may be a little cheesy, but I even liked how they oh, did I that creation of Adam thing at the end where their, you know, hands are almost touching as they're reaching out. Yeah. It's, it was sweet. Yeah, I really enjoyed this installment as well. I think, like you said, it's a solid homage to summer camp films and uh, of the cruelty of teens when left to fend for themselves. Ooh, that bully. Oh, are they cruel? That, oh, man. When, which, by the way, I finished... Um, Cruel Summer? Yes, and that final beat <laughs> is dark, yo. It is very dark, I know. Fucked up. I mean, I was kind of like, wow, this kind of resolved in kind of an anticlimactic way. Yep, like, oh. very cheesy and anticlimactic. And then, and then you showed that, I was like... <laughs> Bitch. oh damn was <laughs> dark yeah so it's funny to watch that and then see her again in this i know but, i know but yeah i think if this is a trilogy that is about systemic corruption and how it can foment winners and losers mm-hmm. i appreciated that this one got into the ways that people in that situation may respond to it. We have this dichotomy of the two sisters. You know, Ziggy vacillates between rage and apathy, understandably. And Cindy engages in respectability politics. Yeah, yeah. You know, she dresses like a preppy. She puts a smile on her face. She's going to do everything right and pull herself up by her bootstraps. But it's not Because if she can just fit in with those rich kids, she can be one of them right. and her life will change. Right. Yeah. And it, it kind of, I think that this movie is kind of showing you in a non-preachy but very relevant way, mm-hmm. the two ways that people react to systemic rot are both understandable but also futile. Yeah. Yeah. Neither of them get anywhere with that. You know, people are like, oh, don't, if, if you're dealing with corruption, don't get angry and push back. Maybe if you behaved better, you could claw your way out of this. But it's all fucking bullshit. And I think that this movie does a good job of showing some of that. Yeah. The first movie was about this love story between Sam and Dina. And I think this one is also a love story. But in this case, it's this love story between two sisters, right? Yeah. This is the second in what turns out to be an ongoing pattern. All these movies are centered around this complicated love story or uh, between two women. In this mm-hmm. case, it's a sisterly love, but it's still very focused on the internal and emotional life of women. And I love how by the end of this, when everything is stripped away, that these two sisters kind of find their way back to each other. I found it really compelling, likely because I also have a very complicated relationship right. with my sister. Right. I was very emotionally impacted by this one more so than the other ones, because... I think that while the other one does a really good job of introducing all of this world building and this mythology and there's these really great action beats, this one has a much more emotional core, whether it's between Alice and Cindy or ultimately between Siggy and Cindy. And there's a sort of not really, you know, twist about which sister is C. Berman. Mm-hmm. But I was like, I I don't want it to be either of them. Or I mean, like, I, I want it to be both of them. I, I don't want the other sister to die. Because yeah. like at first, I really liked Siggy and I did not care for Cindy. By the end, I was so invested in both of them. Yeah. So yeah, I think even though this emerges Friday the 13th heavily in ways that are really, really fun, like the shots of the lake and stuff. I'm like, come on, forget about it. It's so great. Yeah. <laughs> but in some ways that this kind of goes against the grain, right? And it's much more ginger snaps than it is your 
typical slasher in some ways. And I think this one has the most heart out of all of them, both metaphorically, but also literally with a giant beating heart of corruption (laughs) at the center of it. But yeah, I don't know. I, I was really surprised by how impactful this one was and how it is, how freaking feminist these films are. This is when it really hit me. These movies are about the women in them. There are other people in these films, but ultimately it's about women in them and they have real problems and they are solving them and And they're flawed and yeah these are Mm -hmm. really great feminist films i think yeah you know i don't know and then this one also had a really great payoff on the second watch janiac does throughout these movie these two movies really leaves these little breadcrumbs out in the open that you only see the second time you watch it oh okay yeah it's really great there's the conversation that nick is having with the other cop about not wanting to take the responsibility yes. you interpret that as he doesn't want to be a cop or he doesn't want to have to be the patriarch of this family but he knows that he's on the cusp of having to do this sacrifice thing right and you don't realize that until the next movie right and so or things like why does C. Berman live where, you know, Sam gets possessed? Well, it's all set up in this movie because there's this emotional connection that he has with Ziggy that he kind of lets her get away where he doesn't do that with Sam. You know, because at the end of the first movie, there's this these conversations that he's having at the police station where he's like, you look like you've come back from the dead. And it sounds like a wink at the audience. Mm hmm. But it's really him going like, oh, I have to do something about this. Mm, It's stuff like that that this creates context for that is really paid off in the third film or a second watch through. That's so cool. And again, when the credits rolled on this bad boy, I was ready. Yeah, me too. (laughs) Ready for the third one. Could not wait to get it in my eyeballs. Another just really, really fun one. I don't really have a ton of cons for any of these. Okay. I'm just going to put that out there. Yeah. I really like these movies. I'm sure you could nitpick. Yeah, of course. Of course. But for the honestly, I just had such a great time with them. Maybe if I watched them a third time, I would start seeing the the seams. The only thing I would say with this is that I don't think the side characters in this one are quite as compelling as the ones I agree. in the first one. Mm-hmm. And no shade to the the actor who plays Alice, but that, that character didn't quite quite work for me quite as well as it maybe did for you okay she's not bad by any stretch but if we're gonna pick nits i guess that would be yeah no i i totally get it and she's there's a little bit of like a stereotype to her character Mm -hmm. and and maybe a little try hard where they're trying to make her the rebel you know yeah i just really appreciated the arc that she had in relation to cindy fair that's totally yeah. fair. But I completely understand what you're saying. And I agree that there aren't as many of those sort of charming side characters like we got in the first one. And they maybe could have done a little better with that. Yeah. Yeah. So again, another winner. Another absolute winner for me. So yeah, I don't really have any cons for this one. A couple little things. The character of Nick, he disappears for quite a while during uh-huh. the movie where you don't see him anymore. And I think that maybe if we had seen him a couple places, it wouldn't have been hinted quite so clearly that he's kind of a bad guy. And then the other thing is I wanted some half shirts and booty shorts on the guys. Yeah, there were I mean, not. A, yeah, there was there was no Kevin Bacon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. <much. laughs> oh, wait, I thought of one con that I forgot to write down. Oh, okay. And that is the casting of Young Nick Good. Yeah. I mean, he's a perfectly fine actor, but there is no way that that person turned into no! the other thing. They no, just look they, no. so totally different. 
They have dark hair. That's the only connection. I mean, <laughs> really. the, the structures of their faces, their uh, nose, different. their eyes. Yeah. One of them has smaller eyes. One of them has enormous doll eyes. Just... <laughs> that one, I mean, I really liked both of the actors. They just should not be the same character. <laughs> That's all. That's it. That's yeah, my big I totally, for this one. totally agree. Awesome. Okay, so let's get into this final film. 1666. Get it? Because like 666. Yes, I All get right. it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Give me the synopsis. Okay. So through a vision, Dina is transported back to 1666 to a Puritan settlement where everyone is freaked out about witches. In this vision, Dina is Sarah Fear. She's in her body, and all the other characters in the movie are played by actors from previous movies. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, in this movie, like I said, Dina is Sarah Fear, and Sam is a young woman named Hannah who Sarah is in love with. So the town starts experiencing animal deaths and rotting food, and then the preacher becomes possessed and locks himself in the church with all the children and kills them by ripping out their eyes Jesus. and then his own. <laughs> Sarah and Hannah get caught kissing and are blamed for what is happening to the town and are accused of being witches. Hannah is captured and she's scheduled to be executed at dawn, but Sarah escapes. She sneaks into the chapel where Hannah is being held and they profess their love for each other. Sarah decides she's going to make a deal with the devil to save Hannah by using a magic book she found earlier at a widow's house. But when she goes to get it, the book is gone and the widow is murdered. Sarah runs to her friend Solomon's house for help, but there she finds a tunnel in the back of his house and discovers that Solomon has in fact made a deal with the devil where he'll offer up other people to be possessed so they'll kill people in exchange he'll get wealth and power. He catches her, they struggle, and he cuts off her hand. Yep. She's found by the townspeople and tells them that the curse on the town is her doing and that she bewitched Hannah, who is innocent, so that they'll release Hannah and hang Sarah. Yes. And then we flash to part two. <laughs> yeah. 1994. Part two. 1994. Part two. So fun. <laughs> I know. It's so much fun. <laughs> After the vision, Dina realizes that Sarah wasn't a witch and that the curse on Shadyside is all because of the good family who have passed their deal with the devil down through the generations, ending with Sheriff Good. With the help of adult Ziggy and Martin the Mall Janitor, Dina, love her brother Martin the Mall <laughs> I <know>. Janitor. <laughs> I love him so much and I love his ending. Yes. <laughs> so... They, along with Dina, her brother Josh, and the possessed Sam, go and set a trap in the mall for all the resurrected killers using, among other things, super soakers full of Dina's blood. Amazing. <laughs> They're able to hold the killers back for a while, and then Dina is able to kill Sheriff Nick, ending the curse for good. Oh, for so good. For good, until we see somebody <laughs> snatch that book away. Yep. <laughs> ah, so good. All right. So I'll go first this time. Yeah. Okay. So another winner this mm -hmm. one might be my favorite i was wondering if it was going to be because of the historical stuff the historical stuff yeah yeah, yeah. oh speaking <laughs> of which producer randy wanted to chime in and said that 1666 is also the actual year a bunch of witch stuff happened and it's also a year when they burned the knights templar at the stake oh i didn't know that so it's not just for the 666 of it all but it actually has historical reference Oh, okay. Producer Randy coming through. Okay, so I don't know if this would be true if it was just a standalone film 
in which case it might go to 1994. Although I don't know. I really love them all. So, but I just think the payoff in this one is so awesome. In addition Mm -hmm. to the setting and the period of it all, you know, I love all that kind of stuff. Plus anything about witches thematically, that is always going to resonate for me. So I was kind of set up to love this one. And I knew as soon as we got behind Sarah Fear's eyes that we were in for some swerves and curves. And I did not think it disappointed. You're probably going to tell me that you knew all along. You saw all the twists coming. I did not. Okay. So for me, even though I knew something was coming, I didn't know what it was going to be. And so I appreciated how this one really, in a way that ends up elevating the entire franchise or trilogy as opposed to undercutting it really flips things on its head again Mm -hmm. this one is centered around a love story between two women yes the the trend is complete (laughs) and (laughs) i I do think that this is janiac's oeuvre this is her sweet spot is to center a horror film around a love story you know we saw it in honeymoon and now we're seeing it in these films yeah you know how they talk about a lot of times comedy elevates horror? She uses love to elevate horror. And I think it really works in these cases because she's yeah, making even a husk of a heart like mine beat again. So, <laughs> there you go. This managed to still be fun, popcorn-y light in some ways that allows you once again to almost forget that this has a lot of shit to say until those sort of moments where you're like, oh, really hit you. Yeah. And as someone that that loves kind of fast food horror to have it actually be secretly made of pure vegetables is amazing. Yeah. I think that this, in this case, it has a lot to say about how systemic corruption is the product of generation after generation and how history is written by the winners and how that they use that, that power to cover up their own sins by demonizing the people that they're marginalizing and oppressing and then obscuring that reality of their original sin, you know, see every critical race theory (laughs) argument we are currently enmeshed in this freaking country. I did not expect Fear Street to be talking to me about the importance of critical race theory, but here we are. (laughs) I really loved that they use the same actors because I think it really reinforces this idea of generational trauma. That, you know, these are presumably the ancestors of all of these characters that we've come to know and that this cycle is perpetuating and that it will continue until somebody finally puts a stop to it, you know, and that when Sarah fears actual curse comes to pass, that is when we're actually going to get some degree of justice as opposed to having villainized her for these first two movies, only to find out that in some way she's the hero of this story. I mean, yeah. in every way she's the hero of this story. Was, to me, really satisfying. I was happy with, you know, her just being a witch with a curse. That's just good horror movie fodder, right? So, to have it flipped and find out that there's actually so much more was really impactful and that she was someone who love was in love and had this pure beautiful love story that the people around her destroyed for you know for her for was really heartbreaking but also really satisfying because these movies are really feminist and here is another example of that right so i love that and 
this is the movie where I think all of these little pieces really finally fall into place. All these little mm -hmm. mysteries, all these things that you think, these puzzles you think you've solved, get pulled apart and re-put together in a new and more interesting way. And I think this is the movie where I really finally appreciated the crafting of these intricate kind of interweaving stories and the way that it was all presented, the the use of misdirection, all that kind of stuff really came home for me with this one, which is another reason I really liked it. And then, you know, after two stories of seeing kind of the bad guys win, to go back and see them triumph was really satisfying, especially oh, when you're- Oh, I totally agree. We see this original story juxtaposed against their modern counterparts, right? Where their modern counterparts are able to defeat the evil, you know? in comparison to a time where they were so powerless. Right. It's really emotionally satisfying, but I also think it ends on this sort of hopeful message that you got to keep on fighting. Your time will come if you don't give up. I think is, is a really good message to leave this on, especially since it is about such really serious social issues. Right. Yeah. And seeing the sheriff get taken down. Oh, so satisfying. It's setting him up at the end of the second one to kind of be this heroic person or someone who joins in and maybe sacrifices himself. So for them to be like, oh, no, 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 no. This no. Fuck, this cop <laughs> is evil. This person Bad who news. is exploiting his position of power is, I think, again, a very secretly progressive message in this. It's not so secretly. Yeah. And I love that his brother was in politics, too, yes. and benefiting from all of that. I think that yes. was a good Just these good legacy message. families, they sicken me. And so to see them properly shown in their villainous <laughs> roles was great. And it yeah. was so great that not only did we see our girls win, but we got to watch karma catch up to Sunnyside. Felt so damn good. Yes. Ugh. Yeah. I really like this one a lot, <laughs> if you couldn't tell. How about you? What did you like about this one? Yeah, I really like this one too. So for me, it took me a minute to kind of get into it mm -hmm. just because we have such a drastic change in yeah. scenery and yeah. time. Mm -hmm. And then the fact that we have these actors who we've gotten to know as specific characters playing other characters. So it, it took me a minute, but ultimately I think it was a really smart choice to do it that way because the love story between Sarah and Hannah is so good and really yeah. sweet. And this movie didn't have a ton of time, right? Because it's being split between two movies, essentially. And so to be able to have kind of this shorthand of saying, like, these are these characters who you know were in love before. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? And now yes. they're in this setting. So yes. it allows you to buy into their love story, I think, quicker than you would have had they been played by totally different people. 100%. And so I think that was really smart. And I think the same goes for Solomon being played by the same actor Solomon. as Nick Good. I do love the part where she gets down in the basement and this guy she's been giving all this stuff to and been yeah. being there for him he's just his larder is just fucking chock-a-block with goodies uh-huh i was like oh any underneath it. the ground underneath the surface the evidence of the greed yeah. awaits a discovery. yeah <laughs> oh it's so good That's yes so good <laughs> I also, you kind of touched on this before, but I love that Sarah Fear isn't actually a witch. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I think witch stories are always fun. I'm on board totally. with that. Yeah. But I think that this was really cool because just like the reality of the witch trials, they weren't actually witches, right? Yeah. Right. And so I think that but that's movie, really cool. They, do, they take two movies to convince you that she was a witch. Right. So that when this happens, I was like, oh, 
She's not oh, a witch. She's not a witch. Yeah. And that really, it's just a dude seeking power, which is basically exactly what happened during rejected the witch Rejected dude. Rejected yes, dude. Yes, rejected dude. Power. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Friend zoned. Yeah. <laughs> I love that this movie has a lot of great gore and body horror in it, too. I mean, the scene where the kids have their eyes ripped out. Again, it's brutal. Every kid in this town is murdered. <laughs> I mean, a lot of movies wouldn't go there, you no, know, and no, no. when he goes into that church and sees the pile of goo with the eyes on the ground, I know. I was like, oh, damn, it's <laughs> <laughs> so good. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and then the part where he cuts her wrist and then rips off her. Oh, hand. my God. Yes. Oh. That's the other. I think that's the other oh. gore for me. Yes. Yeah. Is that hand that fight? It's just like slice and then then it tears. <laughs> yeah. So good, and when so you realize upsetting. that this myth of Sarah Fear cutting off her own hand to make a deal with the devil is completely wrong. And this yeah. guy did it to her. Yeah. You know? The original oh. nice guy. Yes. Yeah. Again, another hot topic covered in this. Right. <laughs> these movies. Yeah. That nice guy. You think you're you think he's your friend, your ally. Yep. He is not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also love the demonic pustules, that sort of beating grossness. Yeah, it's so <laughs> I thought that great. was very cool, too. Mm-hmm. And then once we switch back to the 90s, I mean, that mall scene is so much fun. Absolutely. Watching them paint the mall neon with their super soakers and, you know, sort of run around Scooby-Doo gang style. It was... <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, yeah it was very fun setting all you know all these sort of home alone stunts and oh and when she sprayed herself with ck1 <laughs> oh my god she's like you sound you smell like an androgynous baby <laughs> so <good>. like accurate <laughs> i can smell that shit i was like it's like every 17 magazine i opened in the 90s yep yep <laughs> And then I really love that Dina saves herself using a vest made of Fear Street books, which is also, I mean, it's so, it's such a good nod to just that it's a Fear Street thing, but also to the fact that Maya saved herself, Maya Hawk saved herself the same way in the first movie with Mm -hmm, a book. That's true. Yes. Yeah. It's just really fun. And I love Martin, the janitor. Yes. And I love that the our queer love story prevails in the end that they get their happy ending that they get to be in love that Sam is no longer possessed. We get to see all of the killers again Mm -hmm. or a lot of them in a really fun way where you get to focus on them more. That dude who licks her face. (laughs) 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 So creepy. (laughs) So good though. It's so good. It's, it's really good and it's really fun. I love that Martin gets sort of a happy ending where (laughs) He's inventing something supposedly better than a disc man, which he's angry about. It's so funny. And everybody's like, it's so huge. It just cracked me up. Oh, man. I could watch a whole movie just about Martin. Well, maybe we'll get one. You never yeah, know. Yeah, true. And, uh, you know, and Josh, her brother, is so much fun, too. I just, yeah, these movies are really good. And I think there's maybe a tiny bit of awkwardness in the switch between the two. But ultimately, I really enjoyed this one also. Yeah. I think for me, really, the only cons were the animal violence, obviously. Oh, of course. Of course. And in this third story, I did miss the slashers a bit. You know, I missed that constant them being hunted, that sort of chase 
experience that we got with the other yeah because a, a fair bit of it is more of a drama yeah you know but i do appreciate the way that they swap out those supernatural monsters with your neighbors yeah that's true the neighbors who turn on her you know at the at the yeah. slightest provocation they turn on her and they turn into essentially stalking slasher killers yeah that's something again that is feels a little relevant <laughs> mm-hmm. Sure does. Sure does. Sure does. <laughs> All right. What well, did you have any cons? I just have a couple. Okay. Not everybody is good at these accents that they're trying to there pull off. There is a uh, buffet of yes. accents in this. That is a yes, fair, there is. They're all from different places, yes. different times. I'm not sure exactly what's <laughs> happening. They fall in and out of using them at all. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's fair. That's fair. That's fair. And then the only other thing I would say is that what I love is that we don't get a ton of CGI blood in these movies. Oh, no, yeah, you're that right. It's a pet peeve, and I hate that. And with a slasher, it's all blood, so we want it to be real. But those pustules, I loved. I thought they looked so cool. But when the demons came out of them, it was so CGI heavy yeah, that uh-huh. I kind of wish they had done that pustule stuff with practical effects. Yeah. But other than that... And the fact that, like I said, I think there was a little bit of awkwardness in the beginning switching between them and stuff. I just, I, yeah, these are great. They're so much fun. Yeah. I'm on board with all of them. Absolutely. Overall thoughts. Yep. These are the, we talked about this at the very beginning, but I'm going to reiterate. These are the event movie of the year so far. At least yeah. so far. I didn't even realize how much I was missing these sort of tentpole moments until we had it again. You know, yeah. For the last two years, there hasn't been this sort of moment of a monoculture or a spark of, of everybody experiencing something together and getting excited. And something about having this take place over, you know, week to week and getting to share that anticipation and seeing the movies with our friends on the Discord, which, by the way, if you're not a patron, become a patron because it is so much fun to do stuff like this on the discord together yeah it really is you know i'm guessing we'll get a little bit of this when Candyman comes out probably all gonna see it right when it comes out or when halloween comes out but i don't know this just felt so special because it reminded me it felt like a non-covid experience i don't know yeah it just felt really special and i I really, really hope this is not the end of the Fear Street franchise. I hope that Lee Janiac gets to do two more trilogies. I appreciate her worldview. I appreciate her aesthetic. I love the world that, you know, R.L. Stein and she have created with these movies. I want to go back to it. Yeah, I just, I'm a big, big fan of these and really excited to see when and if, if the franchise does grow, where it goes. I completely agree. Yeah, I think it could be really fun to see what more she can do with it. Any overall thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think everything you said is totally right on. I think these movies are so much fun and there's so much joy in watching them. And I think I really needed that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I feel like with streaming services and people being able to sort of watch things whenever, a lot of times we don't get that experience of everybody watching stuff at the same time yeah. in the same way we would have decades ago. Yeah. And it was really fun where because this was an event yeah. and they were being dropped week by week, everybody was kind of watching them at the same time and that yeah. made it exciting. 
and really sort of gave you that same experience that we used to get from big summer movies. And none of them were duds. Yeah, none of them were duds. I mean, you may have a favorite one that you like less or more, but I think that they are all really fun. Yeah. And I, you know, I loved how much gore was in these and how violent they were. And I loved the central themes of these movies, too. And I think that, you know, having the love story, the queer love story in there, and also having this thing about class and, you know, generational wealth and generational trauma and having this theme of men being willing to screw everyone over to attain wealth and power feels very topical and very real. And the fact that basically all of the crime and bad things that are happening in Shadyside are all caused by a cop also feels very real. (laughs) 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 But again, it's all in this candy-coated fun wrapping. And you could even ignore all of that and just have fun with the slasher parts of it. I just, yeah, I think this is a fun summer thing to do. Yeah, And I think everybody should go watch them. Absolutely. I would like another one next summer. Okay, thanks. Yeah. Please. All right. Awesome. Okay. Well, that has been, I think, our review for Fear Street Trilogy. We hope you liked it. We hope you liked the, the the movies. We want to hear what you guys thought about them. If you want to reach out, there are lots of ways that you can get in touch with us. You can email us at rachel at zombiegirls.com or you can come chat with us on the Zombie Girls Facebook page or you can join our Patreon and hang out with us on Discord. Hit us up on Twitter at ZG Podcast or on Instagram at ZG Podcasts plural and that's g-r-r-l-z and if you're enjoying the show please leave us a review on apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you're getting your podcasts if you're looking for something spooky to watch tonight you're like watch all of fear street and you're like oh no what am i gonna watch well head over to the zombie girls website and check out our video on demand and streaming calendar where we have all the spooky doings that you can put in your eyeballs and what else oh if you want to look super hot for your next date your next zoom date because we're keeping it safe then head over to zombiegirlsgrlz.com forward slash merch, which will take you to our sweet merch store with all of our cool t-shirts. Producer Randy is currently rocking a more deadly shirt and he looks dope. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> if you want to support us, you can do so on Patreon. Not only will you get extended episodes, you'll also get to hang out with us on Discord. You'll get to see all of our cool cat photos, but also join in, in all these conversations as these sort of cool moments are coming out and just, I don't know, generally hang out. We just sort of hang out there all day now. <laughs> yeah, we do. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right, so that just leaves our plans for the next episode. Now, you are going to be on vacation, madame. I am going to be on vacation. So this time we're going to be doing something a little bit differently. Yes. Normally, it would be my turn to pick a movie. But instead, I'm going to be gone and we are going to have guest hosts coming on to review a movie with Rachel. But I actually don't know what that movie is. So oh, Rachel's going to have to tell you. Well, that. okay. If this was quite a selection process because neither person wanted to be aggressive about picking a movie. So there was a lot of secret voting that went on. Okay. Okay. Anyway. Uh, so joining us for the next episode are Matilda from the Zombie Girls podcast and Larry from Here's Johnny and the Untitled Nick Cage show. And together... We will be reviewing the, I guess, 2000 classic American Psycho directed by Mary Heron. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So Larry's actually read the book. So we're okay. get some book versus movie comparison in there. Yeah. So basically, there was a lot of discussion about what was up 
for discussion and then like i said secret voting on the discord and then i basically looked at their list and the one crossover they had was american psycho so we're gonna be you know getting our hip to be square on it'll be fun yeah that's a big one awesome yeah yeah i mean, i haven't actually seen it since it first came out i have not either i saw it in 2000 right i want to see what 2021 rachel yeah, <laughs> I wonder if I will appreciate it more, or if I'm just gonna be pissed off. I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. So everybody, watch American Psycho, directed by Mary Heron. Come back. We'll be reviewing it on the next episode, and then after that, we'll get to hear all of Ariel's adventures in California. Hopefully, some of which will be with myself. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Anything before we get out of here? Yeah, so I have one more thing to talk about really quickly, and that is that Rachel and I did a guest spot on the Plug It Up podcast. And as this episode is dropping, I think our episode with them is going to be coming out just a few days later. So go and follow and subscribe to the Plug It Up podcast so that you can listen to us talk about a fun movie. That's a that's a that's a conversation. (laughs) It sure is. We went places, we shared things. So I thought one more thing. What are we, you are in charge of programming for the extended episode this time. What are, what are we going to be talking about? Oh, good point. Yes. We are going to be talking about witch stuff. So I did some research into the witch trials in Europe and the US and I have some interesting facts to share with you. Spicy. Okay. Awesome. So for those of you who are patrons, you'll get to hear the whole thing. For those of you who are not, if you stay tuned after the music, you'll get a little short teaser of what we'll be talking about so definitely hang out after the credits for that all right ariel let's get the hell out of here take us out (laughs) all right thanks guys for listening to our review of the fear street trilogy we hope you had as much fun listening to us talk about it as we did talking about it and we'd love to hear from you so let us know what you thought and be back here next time for american psycho all right bye guys bye everybody Thanks, everybody, for listening, and to my co-host and good friend Ariel for always teaching me something new. Production on this episode was done by yours truly and edited by Ariel. Our theme song for the show is More Deadly by DJ Sharden. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the extended episode, where Ariel is now taking off her pants as well as her shirt. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) It's called the callback, Ariel. It's just like really good (laughs) podcasting. Jeez. Sorry, God. (laughs) JK. Although, I don't know. Maybe you did take your pants off. Maybe it's me that put in the cameras. I don't know. No, yeah. Wouldn't that be hilarious if the whole time it was just it was just me and I was like (laughs) like creeping around like a little I don't know like a little a gremlin (laughs) just (laughs) dropping white claws and beer and pizza at your house like don't take it though don't eat it (laughs) I would never waste pizza in that way and I'm offended that you would even insinuate it (laughs) I cannot imagine you wasting pizza alrighty so I guess we're gonna talk about witches. Yeah. Yeah. So originally I was thinking I would tell you about the history of the witch hunts and the witch trials, but I started reading and it's like a lot of information. Oh, I bet. I bet. (laughs) And I got a little overwhelmed. So I was like, fuck that plan. Instead, I'm just going to tell you (laughs) about the most interesting things I read while I was researching. Okay. That sounds good. 
Weed from the chaff. I love it. <laughs> so just in case you're somebody who's like never heard of the witch trials, I'm going to give you a TLDR on this. Okay. So essentially people were dying because it was olden times and crops and livestock were dying and dudes' penises sometimes didn't work and they blamed that on women and killed them. That's pretty much what happened. <laughs> I mean, you could like, seriously, you could just turn to any page in a history book and <laughs> that would be the conditions. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So some real facts about it is that it is estimated that in Europe between 1450 and 1750, 3 million witch trials took place, which what? is way more than I would have guessed. Oh, yes. Uh... And that around 60,000 to 100,000 people were killed. Holy in shit. Germany alone, 40,000 accused witches were burned alive. Wow. Which is nuts. 40,000. So 40,000. Yeah, Holy that's shit. what they estimate. When I was in Scotland, in Edinburgh, which is the capital, mm -hmm. and is, if you ever get the chance to go, Ariel, it is amazing because it is yeah. like walking into a medieval city. It's, oh, that'd be so Because cool. it has all the, amazing. I mean, it's all, it's all based on stuff that was built then. Like there's, sure. there's all these places you can go into that they just sealed off when the plague came through. You know what I mean? Oh, like, wow. Yeah. But one of the things that you can do is like a midnight tour where they take you through the areas where they like did the rich trials and the witch burnings. And then you go oh, into this whoa. like, you into this, like haunted graveyard. It's really amazing. But both times I did the same tour because I did it once with one friend and then I went back with my sister and we did it. I got pulled out of the crowd as the person who they were like demonstrating the thumb screw on and then like oh, no. with them doing like one of those like pull poppers and both times I screamed. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. You also hate being pulled out of crowds. So. Oh, yeah. Funny. I mean, both times I was, it was a midnight tour. So I was drunk. Oh, so okay. I minded <laughs> that less. makes everything better. <laughs> yeah. All right, so that's how many people were killed in Europe. But in Salem, in the U.S., the witch trials happened between 1692 and 1693. So it was a very short period of time. And more than 200 people were accused. 30 were found guilty, 19 of whom were executed by hanging. 14 of those were women and five were men. Okay, so the witch trials and all of the witch hunting stuff in Europe, one of the main things that sort of spurred it on was this book called the Malleus Maleficarum. I've heard about this because I dabbled in gothism. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. It's also sounds like a really badass name, you know, yeah, very spooky. It really does. It really yeah, does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was written in the 1400s by Johann Sprenger and Heinrich Kamer. And what? I'm just going to pretend that's right because honestly, I forgot to look it up. So I mean, both of those <laughs> are just synonyms for like white dudes with penis problems. <laughs> yep. And you're going to find out that that is extremely accurate. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> so this book basically codified all of the ideas and all of the folklore about witches and helped to kind of sustain the witch hunts in Europe through the into the 18th century. So it's divided into three parts. Part one is about the reality and supposed depravity of witches and any disbelief in demonology is condemned as heresy. It says that any witness, no matter what his credentials may testify against the accused which is sort of the problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So 
part two is full of all of these crazy stories about about what witches were apparently or supposedly doing at the time, including sexual relations with devils, metamorphosis, and night writing. And then the third part talks about the legal procedures to be followed in the witch trials. Can I pause? <laughs> what is night writing? Because I'm just picturing them cruising around in kit, and I know that cannot be correct. <laughs> no, it's like flying on a broomstick. Ah, okay. The original kit. <laughs> Got it. Got it. The original kit. <laughs>